Let us pray as we come to God's word. Gracious Father, we thank you that in the past you have spoken in various ways, but in these last days you have spoken to us in your Son. We pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are soft and receptive to your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's so good to be with you once again. Thank you for your love and prayers for me and my wife and, and our son as we've been studying at college in Sydney. Boys and girls, mums and dads, uncles and aunties, are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready to celebrate the birth of Christ? Yes, we've got excited children in our midst. That's wonderful. So children, I've got a question for you. Have you told your moms and dads what presents you want this Christmas? And moms and dads, have you gone off to the shops and bought those presents? Have you secured the turkey, the ham, and all the delicious good food that we're going to eat? But more seriously, are you ready for Christmas? Is your heart ready to celebrate the birth of Christ? Yeah. That's great. How, how can we be ready? Well, three ways we can be ready this, this evening together. Firstly, by trusting in Jesus. Secondly, by placing our hope in Him. And finally, by knowing His love and presence. So three simple words for you to remember. Faith, hope, and love. Firstly, faith. Jesus is the Word, so you and I can trust Him with our lives. Hope. Jesus is our only hope for us to see God. Love. We can know God's love in the midst of our suffering. Meekness and majesty. Manhood and deity. In perfect harmony, the man who is God. Lord of eternity dwells in humanity, kneels in humility, and washes our feet. Let's think about the first way we can be prepared for Christmas this year. Faith. Jesus is the Word, so you and I can trust in Him. In our time together, we'll be reflecting on this verse, John chapter 1 and verse 14, and trying to think deeply about what it means and how it's relevant for you and I. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, why does John call Jesus the Word? It's a strange thing to call someone the Word, isn't it? Jesus is the Word because if you and I want to know what God is like, we need to look to Jesus. If you want to know what God's character is like, you need to look to Jesus. If you want to know God's personality and how he feels and thinks, you need to look to Jesus. So in the Old Testament, God creates by his word. God reveals through his word. And God redeems by his word. So firstly, God creates by his word. You see, in verse 14 and verse 1, John refers to Jesus as the Word. 
But in the very beginning, in verse 1 that we read earlier, John brings us to the beginning. Not just the beginning of Jesus' life, but the very beginning. So we read in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now how many of us can remember how the Bible begins? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, in the beginning, God said, and it was so. God spoke, and his words accomplished his works. So in John's Gospel, these words are not just simply words that you and I speak, but actually a person. The words through whom God made the world is none other than Jesus, the Word. That's why we read in verse 3 that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, the Father creates the world through the Son. Paul writes something similar in Colossians chapter 1, when he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Brothers and sisters, friends, do you realize that you and I are created by, through, and for Jesus? Jesus is the word, means that Jesus is my creator. That every moment and every breath that I have comes from him. And that I'm not my own, but I belong to him. Jesus is the word means that you and I can only find meaning and fulfillment in life in Jesus and Jesus alone. But not only is Jesus the creator as the word, he is the one who reveals God to you and me. See, in the Old Testament, we read of prophet after prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. Well, in the New Testament, we realize that Jesus is the prophet. He is the one like Moses who comes to bring God's final word. Jesus fully and finally shows us who God is and what God is like. That's why John uses the image of Jesus being the light. Now, imagine for a moment that this whole room is in complete darkness, without any light at all. What can you see? What can you know? You and I will be in total darkness, isn't it? Well, in the same way, without Jesus, you and I would be in total darkness. Jesus is the light because Jesus is the one who shows us God. Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. You and I cannot know God except through Jesus. You cannot have access to the Father except through the Son. So Jesus is the Word because He creates, He reveals, and finally He redeems. So we read in Psalm 107, He sent out His Word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. God powerfully saves by His Word. Now do you remember why John wrote his Gospel? He wrote so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John writes to you and I so that we may be saved from our sins and have life in Jesus, the Word. Jesus is the Word because He creates, He reveals, He redeems. So I wonder, as, we lead in our, prepar- as our lead up to Christmas, who is Jesus for you? How big is your view of Jesus? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. This Christmas, is your view of Jesus simply that of a baby lying in a manger? Is your view of Jesus small and weak? Or is he the one who created you and I, the one who saves you and I, the one who shows God to us? You see, the truth is, if at any moment the Lord Jesus ceases to sustain this world that we live in, it would collapse and become a dark, empty void that we read of in Genesis 1 verse 2. In any moment, if Jesus ceases to sustain my life, I would fall on this floor and be dead. As Abraham Kuyper once said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So I wonder as we gather this evening together, who is Jesus to you? Is he your creator? Do you trust him with your life? Jesus is the word so we can trust him with our lives. About a month ago, I arrived back in Singapore with my wife, Priscilla. But in the, in the lead up to our traveling, we, we both fell sick, we caught the cold. And unfortunately, the cold triggered an asthma attack in Priscilla. She was having quite, difficult, uh, quite dif- difficulty breathing. So we called the health hotline in Australia. They have a hotline where you can speak to a nurse. And they advised us that, oh, we need to send an ambulance to you now. So we were quite concerned, but because we live close to the hospital, about five minutes drive, I quickly drove her and dropped her off there. Now, I must admit in that moment when I dropped her off and looked and had to care for our young son, I was worried and anxious. Was Priscilla going to be all right? Was I going to see her again? So in that moment, I prayed to the God who made me the God whom Priscilla was made by, through, and for. And I entrusted her life into his hands, knowing that I wasn't in control, but God was. Jesus is the word, so you and I can trust him with our lives. So I wonder, as we reflect on this, are you putting your faith in Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Who or what are you building your life upon? For those of us who are studying in school and being a student again, it's easy to find your identity in your results, isn't it? Or whether you're popular in school, that your friends like you very much. Well, Jesus is the word, so we can find our identity in him. Or maybe this evening, if you are a working adult, and you are trying to find your security in your career. Well, Jesus is the word, 
and you can find your security in Him and Him alone. Or maybe you are the parent of young children or you have children. Maybe it's easy to put your self-worth and identity in how happy your kids are and whether they are doing well in school or not. Well, Jesus is the Word, so you can find your worth in Him. Or maybe you're heading into retirement and you're fearful of what aging might look like and whether you're going to have enough to provide for yourself. Well, Jesus is the Word, so you and I can trust Him with our lives. This brings us to our second point. We can be prepared for Christmas this year by knowing that without Jesus, we have no hope of knowing God. See, we read earlier that John writes, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, do you think you and I can actually see God and live? How can you and I who are sinful come before a God who is holy? When Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, how did he respond? In Isaiah 6, we read, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, Isaiah was terrified and trembling. He said, Woe is me, because he knew that he stood before a holy God. Or think back to the book of Exodus that we read earlier. What hope do you and I have of knowing such a God, a God whom we cannot see? Remember Moses said to God, Show me your glory. But God said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. You see, the truth is, no one can see God. Sinful men and women cannot come face to face before a living God and live. That's why we read in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. You see, God is too holy. He is too glorious. And we cannot see him without a mediator. Without Jesus, we have no hope of seeing God. We have no hope of knowing God. But because of Jesus, you and I can see and know God. And what do you see when you look at Jesus? You see a God who is full of grace and truth. Why, why is Jesus full of grace and truth? Well, listen to how Martin Luther, a reformer in the early church, wrote, This spring is inexhaustible. It is full of grace and truth. For from it, from God, it never loses anything, no matter how much we draw, but remains an infinite fountain of all grace and truth. The more you draw from it, the more abundantly it gives of the water that springs into eternal life. In the 17th century, there was a young boy who was born into a Christian home. And for the first six years of his life, he heard the gospel and he was loved by his parents. Tragically, his parents died when he was six. So orphaned, he had to live with his relatives. He was abused, he was ridiculed, he was mistreated. 
So he ran off and he decided to join the Navy, but his life continued to go downhill. Finally, he deserted the Navy and he fled to Africa and he became attached to a slave trader there. There, his life reached its lowest point. You see, he stole the whiskey from the ship, he got drunk, and he fell overboard. And so as he was close to drowning, one of his shipmates picked up a harpoon and used it to, 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 to bring him back on board. And he had a huge scar on his side for the rest of his life. But in the midst of a great storm, after days and days of pumping water out from the boat, this young man began remembering the gospel that he heard as a young boy. And this new life that he had is found in these famous words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I, was, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. You see, this young boy who was lost was none other than John Newton, who wrote this famous hymn, Amazing Grace. All because of the amazing grace of God, who gave him eyes to see. So we read, We have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've seen faith, hope, and finally love. The third way you and I can be prepared for Christmas is to know God's love in the midst of our suffering. We read, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Did you notice that John uses the word flesh? Why didn't he just say that Jesus became a man or the Word took on a human nature? Instead, he said the Word became flesh. Why? John uses the word flesh because Jesus doesn't enter a world that loves him but hates him. Jesus enters a world that doesn't accept him but rejects him. A world that is evil, wicked, and corrupt. So to speak of the word becoming flesh is to speak of two truths that don't belong together. The word is opposite of flesh. Tim Keller, a famous pastor in the US, explains it this way. The infinite became finite. The immortal became mortal. The omnipotent literally became impotent because the creator of the universe became a single cell, the most weak and small version of life in the universe. The invulnerable became vulnerable. The unapproachable who is so holy that Moses had to hide his face behind a rock, became a babe you can hug. The Word became flesh. Now how is that possible? How can a creator who is so great become a creature who is so weak? How can one who is all-powerful and who sustains the universe become frail and weak and vulnerable? Well, Christians over the centuries have been wrestling with these truths, and in the year 451, a council called the Council of Chalcedon confessed Jesus' two natures, a truth that we still believe till this day. So Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. He is the Son of God, 
and the Son of Man. See, Jesus always had a divine nature that he shared with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But when the Word became flesh, he added to his divine nature a human nature. Two natures in the one person. Now, why did he do this? Why did the Word become flesh? Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, imperfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility, and washes our feet. The Word became flesh to rescue you and I from sin and death, to die on the cross in our place, to save us from our sins. A story is told of two brothers who were playing on a sandbank by the river. You may have heard it before. One ran after another up the large mount of sand. Unfortunately, the, the sand wasn't solid, and so their weight caused them to sink into the sand quickly. Now, back at home, the boys didn't come back for dinner, so the family quickly gathered the neighbors and they started a search. When they found the younger brother, he was unconscious with his head and shoulders sticking above the sand. So when they cleared the sand to his waist and woke him up, they asked him, where is your brother? The boy said, I'm standing on his shoulders. You see, with the sacrifice of his own life, the older brother lifted his, the younger brother to safety. The Word became flesh and gave up his eternal throne to save you and I, to die in your place and mine. Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, imperfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility, and washes our feet. But do you notice that the word doesn't just become flesh, but he dwells among us? Why did John use this word, dwell? Well, the word is actually a, a word used back in Exodus 33 to speak of the tent of meeting. And it was a place where God dwelt amongst his people as they traveled towards the promised land. You see, the word pitched his tent amongst us, is what John is saying. The word lived in his tent among his people. Now think back to the Exodus story. Why did God rescue the Israelites from Egypt? God rescued them so that he would be their God and they would be his people. God's people in God's place, living in God's presence. So we read in Exodus 29, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God's presence amongst his people. And if you fast forward to the end of the book, of, uh, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, read in Revelation 21, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. You see, God's people in God's presence, 
Living under God's rule is God's plan and purpose for the world. From the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, God's plan is to gather a people to himself, to dwell in their midst as their God. Now God has chosen to dwell in our midst through the word becoming flesh. So what do you think of Jesus? What is your view of him? Maybe for some of us, we think of Jesus as great and glorious. He's so great that he, he won't bother about me. Who am I? Jesus is so great and glorious, how would he bother about an insignificant and small person like me? Well, we read in John 1.14 that the cre creator becomes a creature. Jesus is high, but he chooses to become low. Jesus is glorious, but he humbles himself to save you and me. See, Jesus is great and glorious, but he's also here and present. Jesus is the word who dwells amongst us so we can find comfort in our suffering. See, we don't just believe in a God who is all-powerful and somewhere out there. We believe in a God who is near and draws near to us. We believe in a God who is all-powerful and glorious, yet becomes a man to live in a fallen and broken world and to experience the same pain and rejection and suffering that you and I experience. So in Hebrews we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. When we face difficulties, when we face disease, or when even when we come face to face with death, we have a God who rules and a God who cares. A God who stands outside of creation, who is over all, yet stoops down to our level out of love for us. So whatever our situation or circumstance, we believe in a God who knows and cares. Boys and girls, when you feel sad and when things don't happen your way, Jesus knows and Jesus cares. If you just got your PSLE results maybe earlier this month and you didn't get into the school of your choice, Jesus knows and Jesus cares. If you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or you lost a spouse, Jesus knows and Jesus cares. If you lost your job, or if you've been told by the doctors you only have three months to live, Jesus knows and Jesus cares. Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, imperfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility and washes our feet. Jesus dwelt among us so we can find comfort in our suffering. Now, when the war in Ukraine broke out, Pastor Sergei and his family headed for a train station in Kiev. See, he was going there to send off his wife and his son, his two sons, to safety. He decided to stay on in the church he was pastoring to minister to the people in Ukraine in the midst of the war. Listen to what he's learned for his, from his time in Ukraine. Friends, you're asking me, Pastor Sergei, 
What lesson have you learned during these days of war? And I would express this only by one powerful and precious word. Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with me here and now. And please listen carefully the following that is just flowing from my heart that is so deeply enrooted in my heart right now. If he died for us, can he leave us right now? If he suffered for us, can he leave us in our sufferings? If he prayed for us with real human tears, can't he cry now with us with real human tears? And this is so precious, so important, so supernaturally important for me and for millions of Christians here in Ukraine. Jesus is with me here and now and forever. And this is supernatural presence in my life here and now. Brothers and sisters, we can be prepared for Christmas this year by knowing that God is with us. So are you ready for the 25th of December? Are you trusting in Jesus with your life? Do you know that it's only through Jesus that we have hope to see God? And do you know that God's love is shown in the Lord Jesus to know that He is with us in our weakness and our suffering? Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, imperfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility, and washes our feet. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to come as a man, that he who was infinite and all-powerful humbled himself to come and serve us. We are not worthy of your grace. We are not worthy of your mercy. But we thank you for him. So we pray that you give us faith in you to trust you with our lives. We pray that we will keep knowing your presence in the midst of our suffering and that we will look to the Lord Jesus who is our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.